I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. I'm Russell Goldman. And you're listening to Deep Cut. On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss a director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view the movies as they may want us to. But not today! (laughs) Today is a very special day that all stemmed from something I sort of hate tweeted uh, earlier this week about Sundance. And more on that later. (laughs) But it is a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the esteemed director and our dear friend, Russell Goldman. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for being back. I had a two-year ban on the show, so I'm, I'm glad that it's I'm glad, I'm glad it's finally waived. Yeah. Ban being short for Batman, of course. Oh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. We had an absolute blast talking about one of the most popular films we've ever covered on the podcast, Zack Snyder's Justice League, with you. So today, however, we turn the dial on the American film industry back all the way to the other direction (laughs) as we are covering the premier festival for independent films in the U.S., the Sundance Film Festival. So this year's festival took place last week, as always, uh, at Park City, Utah, and saw the premiere of numerous narrative and documentary features and short films. Russell was so kind to offer to talk to us about the films he saw at the festival and also chat about what is up with the state of American indie filmmaking today. Um, but first of all, Russell, how how was the festival this year? Could you tell us a bit about being there and seeing the movies and just festival fever? Absolutely. This was my first year attending in person ever. Uh, I had mm-hmm. done the the 2021 and 2022 crazy to think that there were two years that were online exclusive. I watched a lot of those movies online. Uh, my, my, the other hat that I wear as an executive uh, uh, suggests uh, so, some awareness of what is, what is happening among independent filmmakers and voices is, uh, is useful uh, to know about. So I, uh, I, I attended online for the last couple of years attended in person this year there was also an online component and i think you'll Mm. see especially the movies that are more logged than some on letterboxd also had a an online component where i think for general public uh you could buy a ticket to a movie uh for twenty dollars a piece not every film was available Mm. online but i think most were and that certainly helped keep the festival accessible for uh, you know, a global audience as well as anyone who was afraid of uh, getting sick in Park City in eight degree weather, of which I know several people <laughs> that did. That's really great. I hope that they continue this practice because I know, well, I feel like it's been a big debate the past few years whether or not we should keep the online portions of film festivals because it film festivals want to be an exclusive like premiere like thing but i think accessibility to all kinds of people um is really important in seeing films so i i would say that this is a good direction that sundance is taking if they choose to continue to do this in the years to come yeah the the way that they went about it this year i think was smart where the movies that were available 
at home or for a quote unquote second screening window. So if a movie premiered uh, in person on Friday, then I think that you couldn't start accessing it for a couple days uh, at home. So it was mm-hmm. still like during the festival, but it got to have an in-person response and like immediate buzz or lack of buzz before it went mm. uh it went online and i and it also it i think it helps because a lot of people can only stay or can only afford to stay for a few days and the festival is like like a, like a week long if not more and if you go home uh after going you can watch a lot more movies which is what i did um and some stuff plays better in theaters some stuff at the end of a 12 movie run over four days uh, certainly plays better at home <laughs> but uh, there's there was a pretty wide variety this year for sure. How many films did you see online and like offline or whatever? That's a great question. I think I've averaged three or four movies per day for like probably eight days. That does include <laughs> seeing Knock at the Cabin this week and Virgin Suicides, neither of which were part of Sundance as part of the average. But I think it was certainly the most I had ever seen of a Sundance lineup. And I still miss stuff. Like I, I think that the movie that probably got the the most universally positive response, Celine Song's Past Lives, which is an A24 film, had two in-person screenings. There might have been more after a lot of people left, but no online component. So I have not yet seen that one. Be sure to add that to our watch list on Letterboxd. <laughs> Out of the films that you saw at the festival, could you maybe talk about your few favorites that you had. We have a list of your films up. I know a few of them you've you've given hearts to on Letterboxd, but you're <laughs> being pretty like sly about saying like, this is my favorite. So I don't know, care to share? I, that's, that's a funny way to phrase it. I, I think that there were like three or four that I really, really, really liked. There's another tier of like stuff that I thought was like solid. And I think a lot more mm-hmm. movies fell into that. And then only a few like stinkers like there. I think that there were not not a ton of things that I this really disliked, but all the things I did like, I guess we're on the slightly stranger side. I really mm-hmm. liked uh, this movie by Laura Moss called Birth Rebirth, which was uh, one of the first midnight movies that played. Even the premise itself is kind of there's only so much I think you'll want to uh, learn about it before you watch. Uh, it's a modern take on Frankenstein. It's mm. kind of a horror film. I think it really ends up being this this two-hander character study. It's creepy and it's gross and it's very funny. Um, and I think it has like a great great wit and like a, a, a real understanding of of an an, an ambition to uh, save the people that you love. That's going to be on Shutter at some point. They haven't dated that yet, so I I highly recommend checking that out. Another movie that I was very excited to see and I I liked apparently more than a good amount of people was uh, this movie by Alice Engert called Bad Behavior starring Jennifer Connelly and uh, Alice Engert as a mother-daughter fractured relationship story. It is a dark kind of weird caustic comedy. Uh, most of it follows Connelly at, at a retreat in Oregon with this new age uh, leader uh, named Elon, which is an unfortunate uh, timing <laughs> played by Ben Wishaw, which is, you know, Love ben. A man that I've decided he's also in a, a really good movie at, at Sundance this year by Iris Axe called Passages. Um, oh, I'm ooh. so excited for that one. I'm so I, I can excited. pivot to that one in a second. Sax is back. Sax is back. Yes. <laughs> but you can talk more about um, Jane Campion's daughter's Alice Englert's film. 
Not to out a Nepo baby. <laughs> Not to out another one. Not to out a Nepo baby. <laughs> Wishaw is, it's a small part. He plays a cult leader. I, I have a theory that I don't think that Ben Wishaw can play a less than good person. Even if the character <laughs> as written is is like a piece of shit. I, I can't think of any characters he's played that are like awful. I don't, that's not who you go to. You don't go to Paddington Bear to him, yeah. for him to play an awful person, I guess. But I do think that even in a relative cliche like that character type, you do probably believe that he's one of the good ones. Or at the very least, he is like, you know, a little maybe a little bit eccentric, but um, maybe a good person uh, underneath all the bullshit. <laughs> I enjoyed that film. I hope that everyone else has a chance to check it out pretty soon. Um, I think Jennifer Connelly is like absolutely incredibly funny in it um, and very committed. And uh, there is a supporting part played by Dasha Nekrasova, who everyone might know from the, <laughs> yeah. as the director and star of Scary and 61st, supporting character on Succession now. A uh, very oh. controversial figure online. And I yes. think that uh, the movie is uh, very aware of the, the polarization people feel about her and uh, uses that to really wonderful effect. So that was, I would say, an underrated movie that I hope that, you know, people kind of come around to, you know, once it's done, it's festival runs. Russell, are you at liberty to share your run-in with uh, aforementioned Necrosova? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I can share that part. So about the Sundance experience, and uh, you know, I, I know especially that's that's kind of that's part of the reason why I'm here is that Wilson and I were talking about that online. It's very industry forward, and the way that people you know share spaces is like it's not going to be out in the in the snowy nine degree weather. It's in these rooms called like the Chase Sapphire Lounge. <laughs> it's all sponsored, like. Meeting spaces like that. And there was a party for Bad Behavior that was hosted there. And the the vibes really picked up, I will say, when a bunch of middle-aged to older women started dancing to what, what I would say is, I wish I had his name so I could chat him out, a very good DJ, and brought more and more people in, uh, a lot mm -hmm. of younger people in to dance with them, including, I think one of them like literally pulled me in. I was just like kind of watching and in a delighted daze. And then I I remember turning to my left and Dasha was uh, <laughs> dancing with them as well. And, and she seemed uh, like she was having a lovely time. If you get the chance to go to Park City, it's, it's a lot of stuff like that where I, I would say the best moments are when people get just loosened up or tipsy enough to, start, you know, cool it on the networking and the, the mm -hmm. pressure to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of perform as an impressive individual for whatever reason you're attending Sundance. And just just kick it and have fun. That that was one of my, my favorite non movie moments because it was people that it was a group of, of women that just really wanted to dance. That enthusiasm was infectious. It is Sundance. Hey, it is Sundance. Oh, hey. Okay. <laughs> I sort of want to hear more about the new Iris Axe movie. Yeah. That everyone is talking about. It, it was an interesting mix of like I would say later in the weekend and like lead, going into Monday there were the premieres of a lot of movies by uh, directors whose names seem synonymous with Sundance. Like Nicole Hall Center had a new movie. Mm. Corey Finley, who I guess has only been there once, had a new movie. Ooh. And then Iris Sachs uh, has been there many times. And he comes with this movie, Passages, which I have seen. I've definitely seen Little Men Great as movie. far as my Iris Sachs bona fides. It's a really strong movie. This one is set in France. It is effectively about... I guess I could generously describe it as a love triangle 
between this filmmaker played by Franz Rogowski, right? Yes, who is uh, phenomenal in it. And then uh, he is dating Ben Wishaw and Hi. then starts sleeping with Adele Exauropoulos. Exauropoulos. Hot. Am I getting that right? <laughs> Exarchopoulos? I'm not sure. Exarchopoulos. Apologies to um, Adele Exarchopoulos, who we all remember from Blue's Alarmous Color. They become an item. So effectively, Ben Wishaw is like, okay, like, I guess we'll sell our house, like, in the country, like, and then as soon as Franz goes, you know, kind of deeper in a relationship with Adele, he kind of wants back with Ben Wishaw again. And and you just get the sense oh. that this is a portrait of a, a very chaotic bisexual, a <laughs> asshole uh, film director who uh, doesn't fully know what he wants. I think one of the biggest laugh lines in the movie was just him saying um, after, you know, a lot of these kinds of emotional exchanges have happened. Just just him saying, like, I am confused. <laughs> it's a lovely comedy. I think it. I believe Mubi has picked it up, which is cool. Which is yeah. cool because I know they're yeah. early in their acquisition run. Yeah, it makes sense to me. It it feels like Sachs experimenting with a more Euro style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of long takes. There's a lot of just letting the performances play out, and you know, a corner of the screen, and you almost feel like a voyeur to it. There, there are a couple sex scenes that are some of the best that I have seen wow. film. Wow. High praise. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we all know how much, um, uh, insert joke here. <laughs> 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 the way that they are framed. I'm excited to, for you guys to, as sax heads yourself, get the chance to see this movie. They do feel like private moments that these two characters are having hmm. while very intense and graphic and, you know, it, it, the, the the camera isn't really hiding any body parts from you, but also it has this sweetness. And I think it, I think that comes from the performances as well as like just the right kind of angle that sex finds. Hmm. And the two kind of like big sex scenes in the movie are like both designed to like show Franz's relationship to each of these other characters and like the intimacy that he feels for them at that moment in time, the narrative. So that that that's a lovely movie. I think that that one has grown in my mind quite a bit the last one that immediately comes to mind infinity pool is a lovely movie that that's already out in theaters mm. yeah i i really enjoyed that film it's going to be a divisive one but the, the only other one i wanted to bring up because uh it feels like it's a movie that kind of feels like a sundance movie to me but i in this case it i mean that very well is this movie a little prayer written and directed by uh angles mclean who made Junebug, which was at sundance like almost 20 years ago and it has uh, two really, really lovely performances. Uh, one from David Strathern, who is, you know, kind of just a boss level uh, character actor mm-hmm. uh, whose who's work uh, we all love and recognize uh, him from uh, many, many movies. And Jane Levy, uh, who uh, we remember from TV shows and uh, movies and like hasn't really had a, I, I would say, an, an indie film showcase quite like this one. Hmm. So that that movie might up seem a little bit sleepy or it might seem a little bit like this one's just for old people sony sony pictures classics which knows how to court the old people yes they do <laughs> sure does <laughs> that pick this movie up so i fully expect to see stray through in, in the best actor top five next year hmm. uh with, with their with their boost but it is it's a really lovely movie it's very um it really appreciates and understand and understands its characters which i think any good indie drama should aim to do 
Hmm. So that's that's my that's my movie roundup. Yeah. I don't I don't have to or want to talk about the movies that I don't like because like you yeah. know yeah who wants to be mean exactly yeah I have to ask about this film Drift because it's directed by Anthony Chen who's like the film director darling of Singapore and it's his first English language film that he did not write. I just want to know about it because I forgot he was making a film and I was like oh yeah he has a film at Sundance <laughs> and he's working with um Cynthia Revo actors who are not from Singapore or Malaysia. For the first time as well. So I'm kind of curious because I saw that you saw it. I, I did see it. I did not have a huge response to it. But I all, it's a difficult movie just as far as subject matter. And I'm not familiar with... I, I was not really familiar with a lot of Chen's other work. Cynthia Reville plays a, a Liberian refugee. And she's like surviving on a Greek island. She was like a, a very wealthy daughter of a government loyalist. You see in some flashbacks kind of alluding to how her life fell apart. And she has this friendship with a American tour guide played by Leah Shakwat, who I always love. That there, There's something that happens with independent film where I appreciate that pretty much like for budget reasons, for storytelling reasons, like they all end up being around that hour and a half mark, mm. which for a festival is lovely. And then when you see a movie, uh, that especially one that you might not like as much, that like goes two or approaches the two hour mark you're like oh boy because <laughs> everything in a festival setting and i think anyone would agree with this like feels like a longer sit right than mm-hmm. it would if you're just going to you know a, a theater one day or, or or putting it out at home in this movie at 90 ish minutes uh felt pretty slight to me it feels like a short film mm-hmm. uh, as far as our understanding of this character and the the place that it ends on there wasn't anything about it that i like disliked it just didn't really stand out to me as much especially like i I was very intrigued by the premise and i think you're expecting a really emotional experience and like kind of like a barn burner performance and it's very quiet and i think that that there are merits to that but like Hmm. compared to other movies that i saw that were also very quiet it didn't quite there's another lovely movie uh, that I want to shout out that was in the next section called Fremont, mm-hmm. which is about an Afghan immigrant who was living in Fremont, California, working at a fortune cookie factory. Greg Turkington from On Cinema at the Cinema plays oh. her psychiatrist. He kind of he's like the, almost the second lead of the film. It, it's a really unique like telling a story about an Afghan immigrant uh, with the tone of a Jim Jarmusch movie, I think is mm-hmm. really cool and fun. Very and uh, everyone's really good in it. Jeremy Allen White has like a showstopper scene near the end of the movie that is that is really lovely. If anyone likes the bear, definitely check that this movie out. But that movie is I, I would not describe it as slight. It is very removed. It, it's something that I think you want to let wash over you as opposed to something that you're kind of like on the edge of your seat. Because mm. <laughs> that's that's not the that's not the story they're telling. And I think sometimes that works a little bit better than others for me. But and I would say that that was the case for Drift. That sounds great. Thanks for talking about these films that you liked, Russell. Yeah. Before we close out, I think I sort of wanted to talk about the state of American indie filmmaking and Sundance being a reflection of the American indie filmmaking market because this all started because I subtweeted the Letterboxd social media video that they did where they asked people at the festival what what their top four was and they were just all like existing within the american or white european canon and i was like if this is the people that are attending sundance i don't want to go anymore (laughs) but but has it hit too close to home wilson (laughs) 
it is a hit too close to home. I, I was a little scared, but I was like, fuck it, fuck it, I'm going to tweet it. I, I, was, I was like sleep deprived, about to get on a flight, and I was like, no, I'm just going to do it. I, uh, I just want to say that this annoys me because I don't know. Um, but adds on to the my idea that I feel like Sundance has sort of garnered this tradition of of filmmakers making this the same type of Sundance fair like year after year even stylistically even stylistically narratively even uh like all around and I was wondering what you thought of that Russell as being someone who who watched the festival three the past three years and and went this year if if you have any thoughts on whether things are starting to get stale or people are finding new directions in our general regular Sundance fair? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that there's something very interesting about the role that Letterboxd, the increasing role that Letterboxd, I think, has played in the discourse of Sundance movies. Hmm. Like, almost now, I feel like more than in previous years or, you know, in years where I did not attend, but you kind of hear about movies that make bigger splashes that are picked up for a lot of money by somebody where you might see reviews for them. You might see interviews with them. And maybe it's just a matter of my own social media, you know, not, not showing me uh, reviews as much, but I feel like a lot of the immediate responses, the first responses that you get to these movies are the hundreds of people that see the movies in person or online and get to log them on Letterboxd, get to leave reviews with them. I have conflicting feelings about that. I think that you end up, uh, seeing a lot of younger people and that's any younger person who is excited about movies is like that's that's awesome to me and like I want to kind of start there in the conversation I think that you end up seeing maybe audience members that might not know a style as well or might not know a director's body of work as well and they're because of social media they get to set the initial tone uh, mm-hmm. for how the movie is received and in many cases this kind of ties into my other kind of broader observation about Sundance for the smaller movies for something like Fremont or Drift where reviews really matter and like critics that are going to go to bat for something really matters. And sometimes these are movies that haven't been picked up yet as well. Like they don't have a distributor. Yeah. I'd say the buyers are probably looking for any reason to barter down as far as price for a movie Mm -hmm. that they might be interested in or in the case of, you know, immediate reactions on Letterboxd that are kind of, maybe a little bit more spur of the moment, maybe a little bit more like gut reactions. Like it's easy for them to get valued increasingly, maybe not as much as a respected film critic, but I'd, I'd say, especially with the increasing democratization of Sundance, you are able to more just like express your opinion about a movie. As soon as you see it, hopefully you do it with some respect for the filmmakers and the journey that the movie is on because Sundance is a very industry-forward festival. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of uh, sponsorships. There are a lot of partners in Hollywood that are funding different elements of it. So you end up with, a, you know, the movies that you probably hear about them that get big acquisitions are like movies produced by, you know, major filmmakers or have, you know, major production company money behind them and have movie stars in them. And like those movies will be fine at the at the end of the day. But it is without naming any movies, it does feel disparaging and, and a bit of a bummer for young people on Otterbox to set a negative tone for movies that 
just want a chance to live yeah. and want a chance to you know make an impression beyond this initial festival because there are many movies over the last however many years Sundance has been going on, almost 40, that picked up momentum after the festival that weren't a major acquisition and a major like kind of splashy title in Park City, but like generated some life uh, well beyond like movies that you might not even are aware premiered at Sundance because they really came on the radar later. So it's it's a it's a unique moment where I think that the increased accessibility of the movies is is overall really great, but it does and maybe this is this is just me as an industry person your your words matter online more than you might think. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you are in the in the specific video that I'm sure Wilson will uh, link as part of this episode. <laughs> yes, I will. If you are one of those young people on Letterboxd who are going, I would just give the films that you might not like as much uh, some grace. Mm-hmm. While obviously, like, you know, write your five paragraph or whatever thing about the movie that you love. I was unexpectedly picked up in a Letterboxd roundup oh. on Twitter <laughs> about Infinity Pool. <laughs> and I'm glad that they... I'm glad I love the movie. I presume that's why they they uh, they picked up my little capsule review or whatever. Yeah, your your words your words are important, and and everyone is just trying to get their movies seen by the rest of the world. And yeah, yeah. as a previous guest Andrew on said on the podcast, a lot of directors have burner letterbox accounts, <laughs> so you better watch what you say on letterbox. Yeah, Federico Fellini is coming for you <laughs> from the grave. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's an interesting, like, you guys, I, I, I think, might identify more on the, but, like, you, you all work in, in film in different ways, too. Like, I find it, in, like, of increased, like, if I'm going to, quote, unquote, shit talk something online, I better really be punching up. Mm. Yep. Like, it, it, it better be, like, I think that's why, like, you know, it's very easy to do that with, I'm not going to name a superhero brand, but it's easy <laughs> to do that with superhero-esque tentpoles. <laughs> Because you're like, I'm one person. I what, it, what this doesn't really mean anything. These things are gonna live forever, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas you know the smaller stuff, yeah, it's it, create a private letterbox where you know eight people can follow you and hear your takes. I don't know. <laughs> Good words of advice. There's always been the criticism of the Sundance film, right? Of being a particular type. That's the kind of impression I get of Sundance, and I think. I don't know, like after watching 20 plus films from this edition of Sundance, like, do you feel like that kind of archetype kind of holds water across the films that you've seen or like across a, a bunch of the films you've seen? Because to hopefully try and summarize the idea of it, like I think a lot of, actually, I have no idea how to <laughs> explain what a Sundance film is. It just is a way. I don't have the words for it right now off the top of my head. Well, but, yeah. I mean, I, I think it roots back to the history of Sundance. Like Sundance has become a lot more international and global over time. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think the origin of the Sundance movie that you might think of, whether it's Reservoir Dogs, Sex Lies Videotape, Junebug, a big example, Little Miss Sunshine. These are very white movies mm-hmm. that have a maybe a, a, a slightly dramatic, but still more comedic tone starring up and coming actors or you know a bigger actor in a supporting role or, or something like that and they they follow i think that uh coda is an interesting example of like a movie <laughs> that reflects i think the past and future of sundance in many ways of like you could call something like that schmaltzy you could call something like that mm-hmm. like a little bit cookie cutter and like how it wants you to feel and 
maybe even a little bit manipulative in the like trying to get you to cry at the end. But I also think that Coda is uh, reflective of what Sundance is doing, I would say better than ever and probably better this year than I have ever seen of just being more inclusive to a broader swath of voices Mm -hmm. that even if I would say because the movies are all small, you might see uh, some structural or narrative choices that kind of feel similar across a movie Mm -hmm. that could be made in Ireland and New Zealand or Africa, any, any part of the world. They all just, they they look different and they do feel different and they do feel a little bit more independently made. There, there is, a really interesting example, Ben, of what you're saying is this movie that Randall Park directed called Shortcomings based on a graphic novel that I, 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 I'm i blanking on the author's name, but that I enjoyed. And I would describe that movie as like, it's very 500 Days of Summer in tone, mm-hmm. but all, all the lead characters are Asian. And it's very much about a kind of a grappling with like ethnic and sexual identity. I, I didn't love the film. I, I, I certainly admired those elements of it because it, you know, makes it feel unique and personal. And like, I understand why someone made this Mm. and for that to have a tone of a quote unquote Sundance movie that might've come out like 20, 30 years ago, but just be told from a different perspective, I think is interesting. Mm. So I I would say the state of independent cinema for festival like Sundance where it's like how independent are half of these movies. (laughs) It's going okay. (laughs) Nice. That's heartening to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much, Russell, for coming on the podcast to have a quick chat about the movies that you saw at Sundance this year. It was a pleasure to have you. And hopefully it's not going to take two years for you to come back on the pod. (laughs) Agreed. Russell, is there anywhere that you want to point our listeners to online, perhaps to watch a certain recently released short film, which is excellent? Oh, oh, sure. <laughs> I, I am at uh, Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L underscore Goldman, G-O-L-D-M-A-N on Instagram. I'm at Russell Goldman, spelled the same way, dot com. You can go to either of those spots and, and check out some movies I've made. Uh, the most recent film I've released is a, like about an 18 minute short film starring Allison Tolman about a delivery scam that gets uh, really fucked up and personal. It's called Return to Sender. Yeah. Uh, I have some more stuff in the pipeline bigger stuff also smaller stuff Mm -hmm. uh you can check it out all there yeah thank you guys this was really fun thank you thanks russell Russell. thank you for listening to this episode of deep cut please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you know when our next episode drops keep up with deep cut on twitter instagram facebook and letterboxd at deep cut pod You can join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. And I'm Russell. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. 